You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. Today we are delighted to have with us two school nurses, Mrs. Tanya Kendrick and Mrs. Jasmine Barnett. We do have a disclaimer today. Nurses in school settings never know when they might be called away unexpectedly for a medical emergency. So please bear with us if one of our guests is called away unexpectedly. Thank you all for being with us today. I wanna to begin our discussion to allow each of you to introduce yourselves and I'll start with Ms. Kendrick. Kendrick and I am the lead nurse and health and wellness coordinator for I3 Academy uh, right here in the Woodlawn area of Birmingham. Thank you, Ms. Barnett. Hi, um, my name is Jasmine Barnett. I am the school nurse and health and wellness coordinator for Calera Middle School at Shelby County City Schools. Thank you. Thank you both for being with us today. Now, today we have people watching that may be school nurses, that may be nurses at the bedside, or maybe students, or maybe families. So I want to start by having you kind of describe to us the role and responsibilities of a school nurse. And I'll start with you, Ms. Barnett. Um, so my role here at school um, is to provide medical care for children who um, have documented medical conditions. I also um, provide care to any emergencies that come along in school, any bumps, scrapes, or bruises. Um, I'm also responsible for um, making sure that faculty and staff here stay healthy as well. Um, I'm also the health and wellness coordinator, so that's just making sure that there are healthy food options here and um, that kids are getting lessons on nutrition. Thank you so much. Tanya, I'm going to turn it over to you to see if you have anything to add about the roles and responsibilities of a school nurse. Um, now, I'm just going to piggyback on what you just said. Um, school nurse role has uh, changed a little bit, but we do have a lot of education that we also do, not just for our students, but responsibility for educating the parents as well and our faculty and staff. Thank you so much. I can recall being in school a long time ago and there was no such thing as a school nurse, but I know over the past 20 years, a lot has changed. Can you all tell me a little bit about what may have changed from maybe 10 years ago? And I'll start with you, Ms. Kendrick. I'm smiling because, you know, when you say it has changed, people always say, oh, we just give Band-Aids and ice. Um, that has changed tremendously, uh, like we were just talking about. Uh, we're not just responsible for the little ones and the big ones, but, you know, we got the faculty and the staff. Um, issues have gotten uh, more critical and, you know, students a long time ago didn't come to school with these critical issues because we didn't have nurses. But now that we have nurses in the schools, you know, it's open to everybody. So we are here to take care of like the little issues, like I say, towards the big issues that could be a little more complicated. Thank you. Jasmine, would you like to add anything? Miss. Um, Tanya um, summed it all up. There's nothing that I have to add. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we can all admit that this past school year has been very challenging to say the least. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about some of the challenges you've encountered 
because of COVID. And I'll start with you, Jasmine. Um, some of the challenges that um, I've encountered um, with COVID this year um, is really um, the challenge of contact tracing. Um, and that's just basically um, if a student or staff member is to um, be presumed positive or test positive, um, we have to contact trace um, and retrace um, that student or that staff member's footsteps to see who they were in contact with. Um, you have the challenge of, um, you know, discerning whether they broke the 615 rule. Um, and also things got challenging when siblings came um, into the picture. So um, if there was a student at the middle school who tested positive, what are we to do with their sibling who's at the elementary school? So there is a lot of puzzle pieces um, with, the, with the contact tracing. And that's something that I found a little bit challenging um, coming into the school year with COVID. Thank you. Thank you. I, I bet that's challenging, especially when there are different schools and different classrooms and having to quarantine those students. Tanya, would you like to add anything to that? Um, I think the biggest challenge was before we even opened this year, we spent the summer basically just devoted to planning the reopening to begin with. Uh, making sure that the classrooms were appropriate for the size and the number of the kids that were coming in. Uh, and once we got here, just making sure that you know, students and parents did understand the guidelines. Uh, we were preparing our, you know, our parents saying, you know, at the end of on Friday, what we do uh, iPads, make sure that your children are, you know, have their iPads when they go, because you don't know if you're gonna get that phone call and saying, hey, you guys are gonna be on isolation for the next 14 days. Uh, that within itself was very challenging for us, as well as the parents being able to figure out where am I gonna do for the next two weeks. So. It was a lot of just preparation and educating. And like we were just talking about with the contact tracing, uh, making sure that we didn't miss anybody, uh, making those phone calls. And again, educating, educating, educating. The biggest challenge was things were changing so rapidly on a daily basis, mm -hmm. you know, trying to keep everybody, um, all the stakeholders uh, informed of all the many changes that we were going to have to do on a daily day basis. Mm -hmm. You brought up a great point in regards to the changes that took place, you know, every couple of months the CDC were coming out with new recommendations. Uh, what's one strategy you utilize with your school to ensure parents stayed informed? Uh, the biggest thing we did was making sure that we notified our teachers as well, because they're the ones with the day-to-day -day relationships with the family members. So we got updated information. We got that out to our teachers making sure that uh, they got that out to um, individual students and families. Uh, email, telephone, class. we have something called Live Wire. We have a monthly newsletter. We updated our website. We were just trying to just any to anywhere we could get that information out. Uh, but also we're always available for phone calls. If parents had individual questions, we understood that this was overwhelming for us. So we do understand when you're talking to late people, that this information is so complicated. What does this mean for me? It's a one thing to give it to everybody, but when it's on an individual basis, how does this affect me and my family? So we did just a lot of that. We're just open to the phone calls whenever. As working parents trying to coordinate that and understanding because it could be a little complicated. 
I know recently there's been a big debate about whether or not to continue wearing masks and allow masks in the school setting or do we not do masks. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your school is doing? And I'll start with you, Jasmine. Um, right now, um, our school system is um, not requiring masks, but very much encouraging them. Um, a lot of the students um, continue to wear their mask. Um, if they leave their mask at home, we're still providing masks for them um, to have here at school. Um, and we're also trying to teach them responsibility about keeping their mask with them when they're out in the public setting. Um, and I'm still encouraging everyone to, to, to keep their mask on, especially when they're not with people who are from their household. Thank you. And Tanya, what are you all doing at ICA Academy? Well, we still require masks uh, at least until the end of our school year right now. So in, once anyone enters the uh, building, they have to have a mask. And like Jasmine was saying, if they forgot their mask at home, we do, um, we give them a mask. So right now we are still going to require a mask until the, at least the end of the school year. Thank you. I know now it's getting warm weather outside. It's spring and we're heading into summer. So we're starting to see a lot of allergies. So now the big debate is allergy versus COVID. Do we come to school? Do we not come to school? Talk me through some of the things you're doing now to kind of help parents distinguish between coming with just a runny nose versus not coming because it could potentially be COVID. I'll start with you, Tanya. Well, first what we do is we make sure we look at the health history of the student to see if there's been a history of allergies and at the time of year. And the parents are telling us this is what we go through every year. We don't have a fever. We don't have the green and things like that running. Then we're going to say, you know, we're going to always check with the doctor because as nurses, we don't diagnose. So we're going to just get the information. And we also tell the family, uh, the special parents, you know your child better than we do. Is this something different? If this is something different, then, of course, we're going to encourage you to see your health care practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, we also rely on the CDC. They have a really nice chart with allergies and cold on one side versus something that's more COVID-related. So we've also printed those out and sent those out to our email. We also use our partners like you, Dr. Smith. So we have you online mm -hmm. that explain those kind of things to our parents as well. Thank you. Thank you. Jasmine, are you all doing anything differently at your school setting? Um, we're we're kind of doing the same thing. Um, I am referring them to the CDC website to look mm -hmm. at that chart. Um, is allergies versus COVID. Um, I am doing temperature checks. Um, and also, like she said, I'm going back in the history to see if they have allergies or do they have asthma. Um, and I'm you know, communicating with the parents too. If I see a kid has been out for a couple of days, I call and make sure, hey, is this COVID related or allergy related? Thank you. I do have one more COVID related question related to testing. Are, are there any um, testing being done in your school systems or any recommendations for your faculty and students? I know some school systems were testing their faculty every two weeks. Are you all doing anything like that at your school system? And anyone can answer this question. Um, not currently here in my school system. Thank you. Um, and at I3 Academy, we started in August before, you know, we are a brand new school. This is our first year opening and, you know, 
crazy. We first year school, we opened in the pandemic, but uh, to have parents and faculty member and students feel comfortable, we did partner with a local clinic that began uh, testing our teachers in August and we COVID test every two weeks. So the nurse, the, well, there are two nurses here. We didn't test, we brought the clinic in. So every two weeks our faculty is uh, tested. Um, and right now, and I'm thinking we're gonna talk about this a little bit later, uh, we've stopped the testing a little bit, probably like on a, every four weeks now, because about 98% of our faculty is now fully vaccinated. Great, great. And that's a great segue into my next question related to the vaccine. Are you starting to see families with a lot of questions, especially your 12-year-old, 10-year-olds, because there's lots of conversation now about the vaccine being available for those students. How are you handling those conversations? Are you, if you are getting those emails and phone calls related to that? I'll let you answer, Tanya. Okay, well, uh, we are starting to get emails and phone calls related to that because it's like the CDC, it's, we're getting ready to get to where we can uh, vaccinate um, the 12 year olds, uh, 12, I think 15. Uh, the phone calls usually is about uh, the fear of what about the side effects? You know, this is this vaccine is also new. The adults just got, you know, started getting the vaccine. How do we know about the children? So we talk about the trials and things like that. Always refer back to the CDC uh, and also going to refer back to your healthcare practitioner. Every child is different. Every person is different. So the best thing you need to do is talk to your healthcare practitioner about it. They'll say, are you vaccinated? Well, you don't have to give that information, but I am so thankful that I was able to get the vaccine. I'm happy to tell I'm vaccinated. I'm not vaccinated. My entire family has been vaccinated. So uh, I'm looking forward to the day that possibly we can do that in the school. So. <laughs> Me too. I'm looking forward to the day I can come over and help you administer vaccines. Yes. To those that would like to receive one. Yes. Jasmine, are you yes. all doing anything different in your school system? Um, we ha I have not heard anything about um, us giving um, the vaccines because um, I know they have approval for um, kids under 12. Um, I haven't gotten many questions from parents about the vaccine either, um, which is very surprising. I've had one um, question, um, and this person was a little bit skeptical of the vaccine. Um, and I just encouraged um, that parent to um, do their research um, and gave them some resources to look at different clinical trials and just told them to follow what's going on in the news about the, the safety uh, and the effectiveness of the vaccine. Yes, yes. I strongly um, agree with that. I know there's been a lot of vaccine hesitancy with the adult populations and certain um, ethnic group populations. So there's been a lot, um, a lot of nursing organizations are promoting the vaccine and trying to get the information out on a level that laypersons can understand. So I hope to see that continue throughout the summer as we get people vaccinated. I know here we're in the state of Alabama, there's a lot of complex health problems like diabetes, obesity, and that affects our children as well. And I just want to ask, what type of complex health issues are you seeing in your school setting? Jasmine, I'll let you begin. Or Miss Tanya, you can go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, 
going back to right now, I think the biggest surprise I encountered this year being at the elementary level, because uh, I, was, I was at the high school level, is the dental issues. So that's probably been the primary surprise for me. We also have um, the diabetics and obesity uh, on the rise here. So those are things that we want to address. And again, education, education, education. Uh, once we can get a little bit settled beyond this, um, the COVID, we really want to start bringing families in so we can educate the whole village. You know, it truly does take a village to try to change some of these behaviors. But if we can get it at this age, at the elementary level, I just think you know so much more hopeful when we get to the next level. So those would be the three main ones for us: is diabetics, obesity, and dental. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I truly believe in order for kids to have a healthy foundation, it has to start really early and it has to be a community affair. It has to be the entire family to change that behavior that, and the, all the influences. And it also has to be with the community that they're a part of. Jasmine, what types of issues have you seen in your school? Um, the um, same things that um, Ms. Tanya has seen, um, diabetes, obesity. Um, I see a lot of allergies and asthma, um, especially now with the um, pollen being um, the way that it is this season. I have had a lot of um, <clears throat> children suffering with um, their asthma symptoms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You brought up a, a great point with asthma um, because it is springtime. How are you handling those patients that are coming in? Because typically this is the time of year where we see a lot of exacerbations related to asthma and allergies. Um, well, when they come in, um, usually they're coming in from outside. So I immediately have them go wash their hands, wash their face off, um, and, and we get their asthma pump. Um, and we um, do their we, do, we administer the um, number of pumps based on their um, doctor's order. Um, some kids have some don't, um, and I kind of just have them sit there for a minute, and um, I make sure their oxygen saturation is good. I listen to them, um, and also you know just watch them breathe for a minute to make sure it's not any work of breathing, um, and their shortness of breath has gotten better. Mm -hmm. um, and I rest as well, and I, I will definitely say, you know, don't go back outside today, <laughs> just so that we, we can avoid any kind of asthma attacks. Right, right, right. What are some of the challenges associated with caring for kids in the school setting with complex health problems? What I've been finding as one of the things is a lot of those uh, complications, we don't find out until it happens. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. for whatever those, that information is not on the health assessment plan, and we just find out at that particular time. So that has been an issue. And what we do in those situations, just kind of reach out to the parents. And, uh, this is what we're seeing right here. This appears to be X, Y, Z. Again, we don't diagnose. And the parents will sometimes say, oh, well, you know, this time of year, I always have to use this pump. Well, that's probably, you know, induced that may be asthma, it may be allergen-induced asthma. So it's, again, it's education, education, education again and again. Uh, with a lot of our uh, asthmatic students, we do coordinate with our PE teachers. They do like this presidential exercise uh, routine that they do. And we know on those days, we're already contacting the parents to say, hey, if your child has asthma, this is what we're about to do next week. 
Uh, if you haven't filled out the paperwork so your child can have the inhaler at school, this will be a good time to get that done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great information. I know as a healthcare provider, I see a lot of patients coming in with asthma who hadn't had their inhaler refilled because a lot of times they don't consider that inhaler a medication. So I've gotten really great with saying, do you use an inhaler, do you use a pump? What do you do for your asthma to try to pull that information out of them? Same thing regarding uh, herbal medications and over-the-counter medications. Sometimes they don't consider that a daily medication. So that's great information. I think Jasmine mentioned nutrition and helping coordinate nutrition at the school. What are some of the issues you face in regards to nutrition in the school setting? Jasmine, you wanna answer that? How are you helping, I know the lunchroom staff coordinate you know, proper nutrition for children at that age? Yes, so um, the lunchroom staff and the uh, nutrition coordinator, um, they um, come out with a calendar for the month um, on mm -hmm. the foods that are being provided. Um, and they also make sure that in that um, calendar that we have access to how many carbohydrates are um, in the meal for today because we need to know that for our type one patients. Um, they also make sure that all of the allergens and common allergens are not um, in those meals as well. Um, they mm -hmm. also have calorie counts for kids who um, may be on an appetite um, stimulant. Um, so I just work with them to make sure that that is correct and that each day um, that they're serving what is on the calendar. Because sometimes that it can present as a challenge, especially if I have um, type ones and on the calendar it has, there's going to be 95 carbs for today, but there's a totally different menu. Um, so that that is comes up as a challenge sometimes with the type mm -hmm. one. Um, yes, also, I, I Oh, yeah. Um, they do provide um, snacks as well, um, and the snacks are um, somewhat nutritious. Um, I know the Pop-Tarts, we try to make sure those are whole grain. Um, we make sure that there is fruit at each meal. Um, and that, um, there's vegetables as well. Great, thank you. Tanya, are you all doing anything different? Because I can imagine changing of the menus could cause a big issue, especially if you have kids with diabetes, but also if you have kids with allergies. Is your school system doing anything different? Yeah, at the very beginning of the year when they registered, we tried to make a point of them filling out the information if your child has, you know, allergens like peanuts. We have mm -hmm. lots of uh, even kindergarten is first grade with peanut allergies. So we make sure we got that information out there uh, to the dietitians. We also uh, have a partner with uh, UAB, a student that's been working with us this year that's, a, I believe, a dietitian student. And she has also been helping us a lot with the carb counts, looking at the menu on a monthly basis and breaking it down, talking to the um, dietitians about some alternative uh, foods. And like you said, because of the pandemic, it's been really hard for them to get certain items. Uh, so I've learned a lot about uh, the dietary services uh, this year from the pandemic. Um, like you were saying, uh, it brought up a good point about our diabetic students. One of the other issues is when they see that menu, 
that gives us an opportunity for them to kind of look at the menu and choose and pick the best options for them. Um, and we've had some issues with some of our diabetics. Why can I have the chocolate cake as opposed to, and we don't do chocolate cake a lot, but when we do, why can I have that? <laughs> That's always giving us an opportunity to educate them on uh, their diabetes and what, what that would do to them. But we've had a lot of help through, like I said, UAB. Uh, we're trying to look at our menu, trying to introduce new foods once a month at least, uh, because the area that I work in, a lot of these things, you may think about a star fruit. They're like, what is that? So we're trying to introduce something at least once a month uh, that they could um, try at least. Vegetables are always going to be on the menu. Uh, we did something different um, for breakfast. We started serving oatmeal, and we realized that we can't use the term oatmeal. We have to say hot cereal. So if we say hot cereal, they will eat the hot cereal. They will not eat oatmeal. I can tell you've been a nurse and a mom for a long time. That, that's a neat trick there. Um, and seizing every opportunity we can to educate as a pediatric provider, every opportunity, every encounter is, is one that you can use to educate. We did have a question come in from the audience related to children with special health care needs. How do you assist as a school nurse integrating them into the classroom and the school setting? And Tanya, I'll let you begin. Say that again. I'm sorry. You went out for a second on my end. Sorry. Children with... Children with special health care needs, how do you help integrate them into the classroom and into the school setting? If we get that information up front in the summer, and a lot of times we have, we make sure that we talk to the teacher, we talk to the parent, we try to get that conversation at the beginning of the year. We also have a social worker and a counselor here. We're very fortunate uh, to have these people here. So when we see that that, that special needs or whatever's coming in, we're going to sit down a, a team effort and talk through it with the parent and saying, okay, tell us about your child. I always go back to the parent. I, you know, I see a lot of children, but there's always going to be something special about your child. Tell us what's been working for you. Tell us what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to we do that here as well. So it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've found in my practice that parents are the greatest source of information because every child is different. Every diagnosis affects children a little bit different. So it's always important to have that conversation with the parents and their caregivers. Jasmine, are you doing anything different in your school system related to special health care needs? We are, um, we're doing the same thing. It's basically, like she said, a team effort. Um, we do have kids here um, with special accommodations and we try to make sure that they um, are as independent as possible at school. Um, and that we accommodate them. Um, we have a physical therapist, an occupational therapist here to help them, um, you know, learn to maneuver around school and to um, get to their classes and also um, to make it to the nurse. Um, so we have a lot of resources here for our kids who um, have who need um, have special needs and need accommodations mm -hmm. here at school. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to quickly talk about our remote learners. I know they are not physically in the school setting, but I know we're responsible for them as well. Have you seen any challenges when you compare those that are coming in physically into the building versus those remote learners? I know for personally, some of those children have complained of headaches because they are sitting in front of the screen more. Some are having more behavioral issues because they're 
they got out of their typical routine? What are some of the things you're seeing in your school setting? And Tanya, I'll start with you. Okay, well, with our remote learners, um, a couple of times, I was just, it's, it's really funny that they have to come in for testing and some of them come in and it's like, wow, you know, it's so much noise, it's whatever, because they're not used to that. So once they get used to it, I'm like, I think I want to come every day. And then you have the opposite, like, oh my gosh, it's too loud in here. Um, the biggest thing that I think I've noticed with our remote learners is when they do come in, um, they do have a lot of headaches. They complain of a lot of headaches. They also complain, and when I think about that, I always ask about water. That's the first thing I think about with wa is water. They don't drink a lot of water, apparently, at home. Now, here, they get a water bottles, so we're constantly, you know, encouraging them to drink water. The other thing is there's a lot more anxiety-related. Uh, thought about, I'm going to be here more than two days. I'm going to be here every day. So there's a lot more anxiety and just trying to sit down and talk them through the process. Uh, there's fear. Uh, we have remote learners that come in that are masked up from head to toe because of the fear of coming into school. So those will probably be uh, challenges that we're going to be facing for a little while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can agree with that. It looks like we're getting a little short on time. So I want to ask about resources for school nurses. We may have student nurses that are watching or bedside nurses that are considering becoming school nurses. What are some of the resources available for school nurses to support you in your role? And Jasmine, I'll let you start. Um, a resource that I use very frequently, um, Children's of Alabama um, has a um, a um, resource just for school nurses. There are videos um, there to help you with um, caring for children with diabetes, um, caring for children um, with head injuries, which is um, on the rise, especially with concussions. They have all kinds of videos on um, their website that will help assist you um, with taking care of the common um, issues that we do take care of, asthma, allergies, ADHD. Um, it's a great resource, and um, if you're looking to see if this is going to be a um, career for you, I would highly recommend um, visiting Children's of Alabama um, in their school nurse um, tab. Thank you. Tanya, would you like to add anything to that? Oh, yeah. Our um, state school nurse website is a great resource. Our national school nurse website is a great resource, and uh, finding a school nurse and just talking to that person and trying to figure out, is this something uh, that you would be interested in? So as a nurse, if you love people, you'll love to be a school nurse, period. <laughs> Thank you. Now that we're out of time, I would like to ask, is there one final takeaway? If you could leave something with our audience today, what would it be? And Jasmine, I'll let you start us off. Any tip or any recommendation or any pearl of wisdom you would like to leave with our audience? Um, the pearl of wisdom that I would like to leave with the audience um, is, and I think you said this, Tidra, um, the parents are the best resource that you have in pediatrics. Um, if you're unsure, always consult the parent. Thank you. And Tanya? I would, I, I, I would definitely concur with that. Um, I really, it takes a village. That's the biggest mm -hmm. thing. It does take a village, and 
when in doubt, check it out. So if you doubt something, you've got a school nurse resource, just give us a call, give us an email. We'll do our best to answer your questions and make you feel a lot more comfortable about it. Thank you both so much. This has been such a great discussion on school nurses and the role and responsibilities of school nurses. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.